through the book of Numbers, the fourth book in the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue English version right in front of you, below you. And we'll be looking at Numbers chapter 24, verses 10 through 19. is the last of Balaam's oracles. Before we hear God's precious and authoritative word, let us go to him asking for his help in understanding this text. By the light of your word, now incarnated, and through the light of the Spirit, now indwelling, open our eyes, we pray, to see your glorious gospel, O God. In Christ's name, amen. Numbers 24, 10 through 19, hear now the word of God. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them these three times. Therefore, now flee to your own place. I said, I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. And Balaam said to Balak, did I not tell your messengers whom you sent to me? If Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own will. What the Lord speaks, that will I speak. And now behold, I am going to my people. Come, I will let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter days. And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him now, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab, and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed, Seir also his enemies shall be dispossessed, Israel is doing valiantly, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Kings who get in the way of God always find themselves frustrated and in failure on the losing side. That is what we see this evening as we carry on with the series of Christ in the Pentateuch, Christ in the first five books of the Bible. There is a bad king, Balak. This is the king of Moab, one of the nemesis of Israel. And we see that he has gone to great lengths that Israel would be cursed. There's also a bad prophet, Balaam, who sees clearly for a time, but is still the snake's child. God uses a bad Balaam to bring down a bad Balak in order to bless his people because God insists on blessing his otherwise cursed people through his only begotten king. Opposing God is a fool's errand. Even in the case of kings who think that they are mighty, who think that their power will outdo their or, or another's folly, 
As we saw in Exodus a couple of weeks ago, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, expended all of his effort for nothing. He saw an increasing people, and he wanted to stop them from growing and from going. He wanted them to be reduced in size, and he didn't want them to go to the promised land that they would worship Yahweh, the Lord their God. Their numbers, if they got big enough, could be used against him, and this he feared. And their numbers, because they were large, could be used for him in forced labor. And so to keep them under his thumb, he enslaved them. He ordered the midwives to kill the baby boys, and he commanded that every male child be thrown into the Nile. Powerfully, the Lord thwarted all of Pharaoh's efforts, frustrated his power, and made him the fool. And now in the book of Numbers, the king of Moab acts in the spirit of Pharaoh and seeks to oppress Israel, this nation. Balak, again, astounded by the number of Israelites, he tries to keep them out of the land, tries to keep them away from that promised land that God had said he would give them. He summons a prophet who's well known for his magic, his incantations, and his results. It did take some cajoling, we know, but finally he was able to procure the prophet's oracular services. And many oracles he did speak, this Balaam. And we see in his interaction with Balak that he always was committed to speak what the Lord had revealed to him. He had enough integrity to say, I'm only going to say what I see, whether that is for your good or for your ill. And Balak, we we know, was surely frustrated with this man because he didn't get what he paid for. No doubt some of you have purchased some item for yourself or for another during this season only to return the product, or you will soon return the product, because it was not what the advertisement made it to be. But this is next-level disappointment. This is failure at its finest. Balak doesn't end up with an oppressed people exponentially and irrevocably cursed. He has to stand by and hear Balaam over and again speaking words of blessing. And in just a moment, we'll consider the sweet icing on the cake for Israel, the nation. But fast forward 1,500 years, and we come to the ruler of Judea during Jesus' birth. This man, Herod, catches wind from the east that Jesus is to be born in Bethlehem. And so what does he do? He summons the wise men like Balak had done with Balaam, like Pharaoh had done with the midwives. And we can summarize his demeanor in this way, his approach to this problem Remember, he's troubled, as we read in Matthew 2. He's troubled in his spirit. He says, he's wise men, I heard the great news. There's a king, he's coming. No way, that's, that's awesome. I know what it's like to be a king, being one myself. But, you know, I'm not the king of kings. I'm not the lord of lords. I'm, I'm humble enough to know my place. And I want to worship this king too. When you find out where he is, will you let me know so I can come and worship 
just like you have done, just like you have set out to do. Of course, we know that he wanted to murder this, this baby. And the wise man being warned by an angel did not allow Herod to know Jesus' location. Why? Because God insists on blessing his people. But this blessing comes only to those who see him truly. The wise men were, well, wise, as they come to know the future reign of the Christ. And back in our text, this king, this reigning king, is one seen. Verse 15, again, reads, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened. It was God who opened the eyes of Balaam for but a time. It was God who helped these magi to see Jesus, the Son of God. You, dear ones, you see Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the King over all. And you only see that because of grace, because of God's gift of spiritual sight. And you see, because by his steadfast love, he insisted on blessing you with this sight. No one was going to change his mind. No one was going to veer him off the course. He insisted. He was determined. He had made an eternal decree from before the foundation of the world that you would be blessed. And no one can thwart the will of God. No one can frustrate the Lord's will. But we see that not everyone sees the Son truly. For many, during this time of, of year, he's, he's just an inspiration, an inspiration of love, of goodwill. Perhaps he's just an idea. And for, for others, he, he never existed And for still others, he gave up his life, but he gave up his life only as a man and not as the God-man. How do you see him? Do you see him truly? Do you see him as the God-man? Truly God. Truly man. The only Savior, the only Redeemer of God's elect. The true King over all the world. If you see him in this way, then thank the Lord, thank the Father, thank the Son, thank the Holy Spirit for this enlightenment, this spiritual sight, because it would only come from His gracious hand. This is not something that you can muster up. This is not something that you can just eventually wise up to. You just connect all the dots. It's impossible for for us who are darkened by our own sin who love our sin too much, our, our sinful pleasures more than this Savior. It takes the gracious and powerful hand of God to rescue out of your own darkness, to take you away from that kingdom of darkness and to usher you into this kingdom of light, of spiritual sight, this kingdom of the sun, You certainly didn't bring yourself into this kingdom if you see the Son truly. And so you have every reason 
especially this time of the year. You have every reason to see Jesus and to give thanks to Jesus for the way that you see him truly as the Son of God, truly as the God-man. This king that Balaam sees is future king. He's a star. Verse 17 says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. And so Balaam sees him. What this tells us is that he sees an individual. He sees one, one person. This, is, this prophecy isn't about a variety of people. It's about one person, this star. But, Balaam says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. So here is a future king. Not someone who was right there in the thick of Israel, in the thick of Moab, but one who has much to do with Israel and who has much to do with Moab. For different reasons, of course. So there is one down the road that Balaam sees by spiritual sight. This star shall come from Jacob, just as Jacob himself had said of of Judah in, in Genesis 49. The word star is often used of a royal figure. Isaiah 14, 12, the king of Babylon called the day star of Babylon was cut down by God. The last book of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 16, we have Jesus speaking. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The wise man didn't come merely to see a star over the house where the baby lay. They came to see the star of Bethlehem, uppercase S, the king who would give his people bread of life. It is this star who, Peter says, rises in our hearts as we are fixated on God's sure word. Kings have scepters. The Israelite star has one. He has a staff that symbolizes his royal rule. But it was more than a symbol. He's not a king by title only. He bears the title rightly and in practice. Balaam knew that this was more than a symbol. He, he goes on to say that this scepter would be used by the king to crush to break down, to dispossess, to exercise dominion over, and to destroy the survivors of the cities. God sees then in oppressed people, his people, the apple of his eye, and he insists on blessing them with a godly king, with one who will vanquish his enemy, and one who will rule a people, his people, his dear people, with love, grace, Truth, mercy, kindness, long-suffering, power, wisdom. Note the irony here is that God uses evil Balaam not only to conquer Balak, but even Balaam himself. This man, Balaam, was not a good guy. 
He would soon lead Israel into apostasy, into spiritual infidelity. And Peter warns his his readers of false prophets. And he gives Balaam as an example. He spoke truly. Balaam did, but didn't speak from a true heart. He had this his spiritual he had his eyes opened just for a moment to see truly that he might prophesy and pronounce blessings on Israel. But he himself would not enter into those blessings. He would not own Yahweh as his God. He would go back to his own people. And like I said, he would later lead Israel into apostasy and infidelity. Evil never really prospers, now does it? The serpent's errands are always a fool's errand. And so God uses the evil of man. He employs this evil for the good of his people. And why? Because he insists on blessing his people with his heavenly promised land. Recall that Balaam said that this king would take down and dispossess Edom. Verse 18, Edom shall be dispossessed, say, or also his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. Balaam sees Israel overthrowing, taking down Edom, Sayer, But what does Edom have to do with Jesus? If Jesus is the one that Balaam has prophesied about. Well, remember that Herod was an Edomian. That is to say, he was an Edomite. So here we have the word of God prophesying that the Christ will come down and he will crush, he will take down Herod, the one who sought to kill him. And Herod knew what the kingship of Christ would do to his, and that's why he was troubled. That's why he was trying to get all the people to find out where this baby would be born, to take him down, because he knew that if this baby was born, became king, that he himself would no longer be. The king comes dispossessing Edom and comes, as we see again, crushing the forehead of Moab. Literally the, the corners or the temples of the head. This is yet again another reference to the seed of the woman who would one day crush the serpent. We must ask, how wide is this king's rule? How much does this scepter cover when it is raised? Well, dear ones, Jesus does not share his reign with pagan kings. Oh, there are pagan kings aplenty. But we know from God's word that they are his servant. They are in his hand. That's what the proverb says. The heart of the king is is in the hand of God. He turns it wherever he will. And so he uses pagan kings under his rule for his glory and for his people's good. He used this pagan king Balak to call Balaam. They had two different purposes, didn't they? Balak and God. Balak, I want to curse these people. And God says, I'll take that curse and I'll turn it into a blessing. 
is what God does with the wickedness and the folly of pagan kings. Is, is the Christ king only between the sides of your head? Only in the, the temples between your ears? He didn't crush the serpent's head, the corners of Moab's head, to be king only in your head? Only over your heart, your heart alone? But he is king over all. And indeed, this king shares his reign with you and me. He calls us a kingdom of priests. He calls us royal because we are joined with him. And as the oracle moves on, this sidereal king's reign shall be over Asher and Eber, which is to say Babylon, and at the hands of the Katim, which is to say the Romans. The king then, this king, in other words, shall be king over all the nations, his heritage, over all the ends of the earth, his possession, just like Psalm 2 had said. And Psalm 2 has a word for kings. And of course, if it has a word for kings, it has a word here for, for all of us. O kings, be wise. Serve the Lord. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. And I adjure you all, dear ones, be as the wise men who fell down, who worshipped and who kissed the son. This is the only proper response to the one who insists on giving us good things. Parents every year insist on blessing their children with fine gifts. And they do this despite their children's year-round naughty behavior. How much more do we see the Father's insistence, his steadfastness of grace to give us, who have been naughty all our lives, radically wicked, give us the blessing of salvation from the star, from the king over all. Let's pray. Oh, may our spirits forever hold that Christ is with us by his spirit, ruling and reigning over all his and our enemies. And let us rest our hope in this all the days of our lives, we pray. Amen.